0: Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center.
1: Was the son of a preacher man. And
0: Rabbi Joseph Petasnik of Religion on the Line.
1: The only one who could ever teach me, me.
0: Now on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Rev and the Rabbi where faith matters. Good morning,
2: I'm Rabbi Joseph Petasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, this has
0: been a, one hell of a week, I guess, is the way to put it theologically. <laughs> uh, uh,
2: watch that yeah, theologically, yeah. 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 How, how did you guys do? Because, you know, you're, you were in the city. I was actually traveling back from Syracuse, New York. We have a, right. one of the largest churches there and got caught in some of the storm. Um, how did you do? Were you okay?
0: I'm okay, but there are others, tragically, who did not make it okay. We lost a number of lives. And yeah. uh, you know yeah. it's that fragility of life. It's so fleeting. You know, one moment you're there enjoying, you know, uh, a secure moment. The next moment, your life could be taken from you. And I think people have to recognize that and be grateful, savor what you have, and protect yourself as much as possible. But this is, you know, this storm. Not just about rain. It's about human life. And uh, we uh, we mourn for those who were taken from us, and we uh, we try to bring comfort to those who are grieving so deeply. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. There are families, we are all in our prayers, and also those who survive these things have to deal with the aftermath, yeah. the destruction of property, uh, you know, as well as the grieving process if they've lost life. But you lose property. You you, you have emotional attachments to things. That's, that's very real.
0: I, I think about
2: my parents. You know, we thank God for that we're still alive, yeah, but yeah. at the same time, yeah. you know, your yeah. house is gone.
0: Yeah, but you know what? I think of my parents when I was younger, you know, sometimes you'd be a little irresponsible. Oh, the word little is emphasized. And, you know, you'd be a little fender. fender. And my father, you know, you would say, Are you okay? It was the first thing he would say. Well, my mom, are you okay? And yeah. I understand property, yeah. but ultimately, property we try to replace, people we cannot replace. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 So, so know, we've
2: got a, a Jewish holiday coming up. We have a uh, major this, this week, this, right? This, Come some, on. Well, people what say. does it mean? Tell First us. of all, it
0: means that alternate side of the street parking is suspended. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
2: it's, a, it's a practical <laughs> meaning. That's how person. you know. Okay. That's how you know. it's a, That's the difference
0: between a major holiday and a minor <laughs> holiday. But um, look, it, it's the beginning of a new year. It's the birthday of the world. Uh, and I'm thinking in all that we went through with COVID, with trying to protect one another, we're trying to heal one another and help one another. I think we can walk into our houses of worship or if we do it online say, God, we did our best. We really hmm. did our best. You know, there are times we walk in and say we could have done better. I think many, well, many could have done better, but I think many of us really, really worked so uh, assiduously to bring hope and honor. I, I think of the clergy of all faiths who kept community together. Here were people physically apart. And yet they use technology to keep them spiritually connected. Uh, right. Or they, you know, right. they were very careful in terms of uh, being present in the house of worship. So, you know, it's, we're sad, but we're also celebratory in
2: terms of what we're able to accomplish. So it's a Jewish new year, essentially. And do you reflect on creation? Is that part of,
0: you We know, do. We say, yeah, yeah, we, we, we do. But at the same time, we also read about Abraham, you know, because, you know, you can talk about God and creating the world, but it, it's also a human story of, of uh, you know, the the, dr- the dra- drama in every human family, the drama, mm. you know, of the individual. So, uh, but today we're going to talk about a story that is always going to be with us and needs to be with us. And that is what happened on September the 11th. We'll be talking to yeah. former Governor George Pitaki, uh, former Fire Commissioner Sal Cassano. Much to yeah. learn from them. I'm looking forward to it. So they, uh, people need
2: to stay tuned. Right Right here at 77 WABC to the Rev and the the Rabbi. Thank you. We'll be back.
0: Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Rabbi Joseph Patasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, we have two people uh, who really have honored us through their public service. I'm speaking first of former governor, but yet still called governor, George Pataki, the 53rd governor of the state of New York, former fire commissioner, still called commissioner, Sal Cassano, two people who really helped uh, rebuild our state, our city. Taught us that in life, you have to learn sometimes how to begin again. And uh, they have so much uh, that they have taught us, and we continue to learn from them. So welcome, Governor Pataki, Commissioner Cassano.
3: Thank you. Thank you both very much. Happy to be on with you and happy to be on with the commissioner.
4: Uh, Thank you, Rabbi. Same here. I'm very happy to be on with the governor as well.
0: So looking back, September 11, 2001, and all the time thereafter, As I remember, there was a collaborative spirit. People worked together. It wasn't about the I, it was about the we. I think, uh, sadly, we've lost uh, some of that uh, thinking. Too many people make it about themselves rather than the collective uh, group. Talk about how you were able to bring people together during that critical period. Governor?
3: Well, uh, I'll tell you, to me... It wasn't so much me bringing people together; it's just New Yorkers coming together uh, with a tremendous spirit uh, of, uh, of fight. You know, we had been attacked, and it, you know, today we're separated: Republicans, Democrats, black, white, rich, poor, urban, rural. Uh, that day we were attacked, and nobody cared. Uh, the attackers didn't care if you were black or white, or Republican or Democrat, or young or old. They just wanted to kill Americans. And out of that knowledge, uh, that we were all targeted because of our belief in this wonderful country, we had this tremendous sense of unity, and I think you hit it right on the head. If there's one thing that, to me, is most troubling 20 years later, and there are plenty of things, but one certainly is the fact that instead of us having that sense of unity that we're all in this together with a common future that we had, not just on that day, but for years, literally afterwards, uh, now we can't even talk to each other civilly. And uh, we've got to reclaim some of that sense that this this is a great country. We are all a part of this country, and we're all in this together. So I really think it was the people who inspired me as opposed to the other way around.
0: Commissioner?
4: I agree wholeheartedly with what the governor just said. And it was, you know, as far as the FDNY, we we saw we were going to get help. I mean, the the governor was visible. Mayor Giuliani was visible. We had uh, uh, many of other elected officials visible. Working together to help us rebuild. And we as a department, we we relied so much on help from other municipalities to help us get on our feet. We were really knocked on our, you know, literally knocked on our knees because of what happened to us and how many people were killed and how many people were injured, how many people were sick. And because of that, people coming together to help us. You know, when we came down West Street to go to work and there were people holding signs, no matter what time of the day or night it was, you know, FDNY, NYPD, we support you. We love you. I mean, I can't tell you how much that perked us up because we were dog a Believe me, 18 hours a day, firefighters were going to work at the pile, going home, going to the firehouse. Very rarely going home, by the way. They said they were going home, but they weren't. They were going back to the firehouse, working their shift, and they coming back to the World Trade Center. The support that we had from our elected officials and the civilians and the people from all over the country really kept us going. And, and as the governor said, we lost a lot of that. And uh, we have to get it back. We really have to get it back. We can get it back.
2: Governor, Commissioner, this is Reverend Bernard. You know, you two are leaders. And leadership tends to be a foul-weather job. You know, no one cares who's in charge until things go wrong or there's a crisis. But that's when leadership shines or lacks luster. And you gentlemen have shined. You've stepped up to the plate. What is it as leaders, um, when it comes to this pattern that if we have a common enemy, we come together and 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 we we support each other, and and then when the common enemy seems to disappear, we go back to uh, the internal feuds. What is that from a leadership perspective?
3: Well, I think sometimes, uh, sometimes it's. Uh Politically uh, powerful to demonize your opponent. Uh, and, you know, I think we've lost a great deal of civ- civility in all aspects of our society. Uh, it used to be you ran against someone who uh, you may have had different ideas, but you respected. Now it just seems that you try to demonize and destroy the other side. And I honestly think social media is a significant part of that, where um, you can hide behind a cloak of anonymity and just insult and slander and and get away with it. And I think it has just been very destructive of, of us as a society. People should be required to, to stand up for what they believe, to be held accountable for what they believe. And and I think if that were the case, we'd have far more of this intelligent jo- dialogue and civility. And, uh, you know, Reverend, uh, I think you were right, that when we face a common enemy, uh, we generally are able to put aside those differences and come together. Now I'm not so sure, uh, even in the face of a common entity. The the division in the country has become the greatest in my lifetime. And uh, I love history. And you think back to the Civil War, and you wonder how people could have been so stupid as to uh, generate what they thought would be a short war that cost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives without having any concept of what they were walking into. And I look at us today, uh, and I see a country divided. And I fear... That our leadership sometimes has that same blindness as to the consequences of what they are doing. And uh, I've always believed that leadership is bringing people together. Uh, when you have a vision, this is not a country where you have the right to simply impose that vision. It's one where you have the right to make the case to try to get people to come together behind that vision. And to me, the most effective leadership is that leadership that can create a consensus behind it, as opposed to dictating how, how things are going to be. And Washington right now, uh, we're just told this is the way it's going to be. And if you don't like it, you know, if we have one more vote than you do, tough. That's not leadership. That's not the way America should function. But sadly, it is the way it functions today.
4: Mm -hmm. Commissioner? Well, I am so happy I'm not in that political realm because the governor was spot on. As far as the fire department, you know, we people look at us. They look up to us. I mean, you're going to get an occasional bad story, but in, in my vision as a leader, it was, how do I make the people around me better? And mm. if I can make them better, then that's my job as a leader. Not me. It's not about me. It's about the people that work for me or work with me and the public we serve. And we're, we're lucky enough that uh, people look up to us as a department because we're there to help them in time of need. But as far as the political world, it's in a turmoil. I mean, I couldn't agree with the governor more. It's like whatever channel you turn on, it's like you're looking at two different countries. If you're turning on Fox News, it's one report. You turn on CNN, it's another report, and say, wait a minute, I thought this was the same event. But it's not. It's just like the reporting is terrible, and, and the people that are supposed to bring us together aren't doing their job. And, and they really have to because we're in, a, we're in dire circumstances, and we need to get together as a country. We need to do it fast.
0: You know, if we could uh, borrow from the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, a time to tear down, a time to build, yeah. and I think some people only read half of it. They're good at tearing down, but they're not proficient in terms of building. And unfortunately, we're living in a in a climate where if you dare try to build together, you're torn down. You're seen as as being some kind of villain, rather than helping us become victorious. I, I just want to, Governor Pataki, Commissioner Cassano, Obviously, after nine eleven. You must have changed somewhat. That must have had such a dramatic impact on your lives. You know, can you talk about, you know, how it how it altered your thinking? I mean, I, I've often said that we recognize that, you know, we all have our particular faiths, but uh, on that day and all the days thereafter, we realize that we do belong to one family. We belong to one another. How have you changed?
4: You know, I, for us that were lucky enough to survive the collapses of both towers, um, I, you know, without having a, a strong belief in faith, um, w- it would have been a problem because there's so many of us lost our closest friends, our, our mentors, our mentees. And without my faith, it would have been very difficult to get through it. And, and we were really, you know, hurting psychologically wise, no matter who you were or who you are, that had to affect us. And it did. It affected us. Luckily enough, I had a strong family supporting me. When I came home two days later, they were waiting for me on the steps. Uh, Couldn't wait to hug me, and I couldn't wait to hug them. And that's what drove me is my family and then the families of the ones that we lost. You know, we we had to make it better for them. We had to make sure that they understood what happened to their loved ones uh, was not going to happen again because we were going to be better prepared for the next event. There's always going to be a next event, no matter what it is, whether it's man-made or it's natural. There's always gonna be another event because of the city we live in and the country we live in. And you know, my focus from that day on was how do we make this department better and how do we take care of our families that we the who lost their loved ones because their loved ones are gone but they're still gonna be here. How do we hmm. make life easier for them? And that's what drove me for sure. And again, having my family to back me to do that, you know, it was hmm. tremendous. Governor?
3: Well, I think, uh, Sal just, just hit it on the head, you know, and, and how you dealt with the loss of 343, uh, firefighters on that day is something I will ever, uh, look at you with admiration because what you, what Commissioner Von Essen and others did, uh, just tremendous courage in the face of unspeakable loss that no one could have ever anticipated. There are there a couple of things that stand with me today. One, of, one is faith. You know, I went to so many funerals, we all did, uh, uh, and just saw the importance of uh, that faith to those families who had lost their loved ones in such a horrible fashion. And on that morning, September 11th, the morning, uh, after I went into my office and activated all our emergency response teams and everything, and before I walked down the ground zero, I actually went to St. Patrick's and said a little prayer and it uh, with Cardinal Egan, who happened to be there. And it just was uh, very comforting and an extremely difficult time. But I think another thing that many New Yorkers and Americans realized that day, too, that, it's, uh, that was changed. Whether or not still today, uh, I don't know. But you realize that the real hero wasn't a guy who could hit uh, – uh, 75 home runs in a year or, or dunk a basketball. It was the person who went to work uh, wearing a firefighter's uniform or an EMT or police officer's uniform. It was the construction worker who took, pr- took pride in what they did. It was uh, people from all walks of life who rose to the occasion. Uh, and they were the heroes. They were the ones who really, uh, from the bottom up, made this uh, city and made this country proud of the responsibility spots in the face of this unspeakable terror. So the fact that uh, it's not the, the superstar athlete or actor who should be the ones we her- heroize, it's the person who does their job with pride and dignity every day. And the fact that whenever, not just when you have this tremendous loss every day. Uh, That faith that allows us to understand that there are things we don't understand, but that there is someone looking out for us means a great deal to me and I think to many others.
2: In the back of my church right now, Governor, they'd be saying you're preaching real good.
3: <laughs> Thank you.
2: You know, I, I, Governor, let me ask both of you. We're still having Netflix specials, network news specials, memorial celebrations. How important are are, are the words,
0: never forget?
3: Well, I'll tell you, I, it, it was extremely important to me. And, and I was really, every September 11th, I get a terrible feeling. It's not one where, where you, you look forward to it because it brings back the memory of the thousands of people we lost and the friends who, who I lost and who all of us lost. And you just have this overwhelming sense of sadness. But I was looking forward that this year could be different because 20 years later it seemed like we had not forgotten, that we had rebuilt. I would look at the memorial and the Freedom Tower and the transportation hub and St. Nicholas's church reopening and say we should be proud of what we've done and now we haven't had a serious attack in 20 years. And But now, uh, I don't mean to change the subject, but with the hideous betrayal in Afghanistan, I am just beyond upset uh, that all of that effort for 20 years to make us safe from those who would attack us again has been, I fear, thrown away. I hope I'm wrong, but when you have the Taliban with these gloating at their so-called victory over America. We just left. They didn't win. Uh, and when you have groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda around the globe, everywhere, jumping with joy how America has been defeated, it leaves an empty feeling in my stomach that uh, uh, that 20 years of sacrifice, that 20 years of commitment to protect our freedom and never to forget has been thrown away in an instant by the hideous, hideous blunders of our leaders in Washington. And uh, I know there are different sub- to tell you that this September 20th, rather than having that sense of pride of what we've accomplished over the 20 years, I'm going to have the sense of dread as those who attack us today are feeling more powerful than they have in decades. What might happen next? I hope nothing.
0: Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: You uh, Rabbi potassi, you just stir something. Uh, the attributes of spirituality, look, you know we're, we're all spiritual in that we, mm-hmm. there are certain attributes and faculties that, that we have that are not physical, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and it, it, it awakens us to something beyond the physical uh, it introduces us to the transcendent, and, and those attributes m- must be developed. Uh, and how will they be developed without a system of thought concerning them? You know, how will we know who or what is God in terms of our belief system, what it means to be human, you know, what it means to live in this world, if those attributes are not developed that inform and, and, and allow us to explore the meaning and purpose of life through study, observation, uh, revelation, the passing of knowledge from one generation to another. I think this is what the institution of uh, the religious Brings to society so importantly.
0: Yeah, you know what I think also. You show me where you're spiritual, and I'll show you where it's connected to religious tradition. Mm. Whatever you're mm. doing, call it. You can call it spiritual, and I'll say it didn't uh, come about in a vacuum. It has it has a basis. Religious law. I think sometimes you know you officiate at a wedding, and a couple comes to see you, and they say, "We'd like you to read this." This is such a beautiful thought, beautiful poem selection. And I'll say, do you know where this comes from? I'll say, no. i say, well, let's take a look at the Song of Songs. Let's Hmm. take a look at some of the other books of Jewish literature. You see this? This didn't come about because of some creative thinker. It came about because someone was familiar with the rootage and then developed the fruitage. So I think, you know, people have to recognize that a lot of things that take place in that spiritual arena were preceded by things that took place in what we call the organized uh, religious arena. By the way, we're talking know? to Rabbi David Seth Kirshner, Rabbi of Temple Emmanuel, close to New Jersey, prominent synagogue, great rabbi, and also past president of the New York Board of Rabbis. Rabbi.
1: Thank you. Very, very kind. Um- Listen, I I will tell you something else that I think is a challenge for all clergy is that often all clergy think that they can say or do something that's going to inspire large swaths of people. And the truth of the matter is, is that they're going to be 400 different portals for our congregations individually. For someone, it's going to be when they suffer a loss. For another person, it's going to be when they have a near-death experience in a car accident someone else it's going to be when they have a diagnosis at the doctor's another one it's going to be when they go through trauma in their marriage and the truth of the matter is is that we create connectivity and spirituality case by case person by person family by family when i first came to my congregation i explained to the leadership that my home will be an extension of my office and my leadership said well you need to be careful about creating boundaries i said i will my family is my family but we plan to open up our dining room, our living room, for our congregants. And every Shabbat before there was a pandemic, we had guests every single week. The congregation would come, and we did that because we want to create portals with people. And we do it for many other things besides that, where we spend time literally traveling with groups of people to different places of interest. We have shared and broken bread over different coffee houses. We have taken times to do sporting events and to go through challenging moments, but those are where those those envelopes of that sacredness and spirituality happen. And too often clergy think we could just cover it all in one sermon, we can cover it all in one act, we can cover it all in one trip, but the truth of the matter is it's hard work that we have to roll up our sleeves for and take them person by person, soul by soul.
2: You know, Rabbi, I... I, I... And both of you, and you know this, and this is one of the reasons why faith is so important to me, is because there's a universal consensus of those things that tend to human flourishing. All faiths express in some way this need that we have for happiness and satisfaction in life, for mental and physical health, for meaning and purpose, you know, character and virtue and close social relationships. And religion brings that. Religion heightens that, uh, and it's universal, no matter what faith context, no matter what geographic location. And this is essential an essential part of what makes us human. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, uh, look, I want to add something, oh, Sure, uh, David, Seth, something you said touched me. Uh, when I went to rabbinical school, one of my professors was Rabbi Shlomo Risky, who became chief rabbi Efrat, and you know him, though, of him, Mm-hmm. and i remember he gave a talk on the sabbath at the very beginning of of the semester he said but i don't just want to talk or teach the sabbath to all of you i'm going to invite each student here to my home to spend a sabbath with me and my family i want you to experience the sabbath not just from a textbook from from actually living it and i can tell you that was so impactful it influenced me because i recognized that the beauty of a tradition goes beyond the pulpit. It goes beyond the book. It goes into the very, very being of uh, living life. And I think what you said before, the different portals, and what people remember, you know, you're a great preacher, and they'll remember the sermon you gave, but more important, as you know, that you stood with them during celebratory times, critical times, you were there. Um, and that matters much, and that, I think, is where people recognize the value of not only religion but having a figure who represents the religion so honorably, so nobly, and, you know, uh, practices all that the person proclaims in the pulpit.
1: Well, I'm not saying what I'm about to say to be self-effacing, and I appreciate the kindness, and I, I definitely try hard. But you and Reverend Bernard, myself, all of us, have also um, made our, um, our, our mark by missing the mark at times. There have been places where we weren't um, catching the note of urgency from people, where we weren't present when we could have been or should have been. And this is a season in the Jewish world, you know, it's, it's Sunday morning, a couple of days will be Yom Kippur. This is a season when we have to reflect on that, too. So sometimes what disconnects people from spirituality is some of the mistakes that clergy make. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us are human beings in this process. Every person of the cloth is a human being, and that cloth goes on the same for all of us. So um, definitely you know, understand that. Give us a little bit of slack in that process, but it's a reminder for us to try and catch those hints of those notes and those places where we can make the difference because, boy, when we do, it really does buoy someone in a way that gives them hope and healing. And when we miss it, it only brings them further down.
2: You know, you know, you know, Rabbi uh, Seth Kirshner, uh Rabbi Patasnik and I and I talk about that uh, constantly. The fact that we are essentially wounded healers—we're in the business of helping people heal—and yet we ourselves uh, need healing. And no matter how much we do, we're always living with this idea that was it enough, this sense that we're missing the mark, that we're falling short in some way. Uh, and people think that we've got it all together, but that is so far from the truth. That's Admit it, Rad- Rabbi Patasnik, please. Why, that's, why you,
0: that's why you need me so badly. I uh, should know, <laughs> pick you up. Uh, but you know what? We, we do need one another, I Kids need to socialize with kids and be with one another. We clergy, we need to have these kinds of exchanges where we uh, went astray, where we excelled. And I have to say something. We talk about the unaffiliated. I think we have to, we have to learn from something that uh, I've tried to uphold. We have to stop being so damn negative. Uh, I know people will look at surveys and, you know, uh, cast aspersions on those who are not in the synagogue telling people who are in the synagogue about those not in the synagogue. But it's a challenge for us to find ways, you know, if there are people out there who are not coming in, how do we open the doors a little wider? How do we bring them in? Let's use that, you know, we say crisis creates opportunity. Let's use it in a way that we don't disparage those who are disconnected. But on the contrary, say, what more can we do? Reverend Bernard, I told you I have a friend who was giving a sermon one day and he noticed someone was sleeping. Snoring. And usually the snorers sit in the front so you can hear them. And he said to himself, You know, I could say he's tired. You know, I could say he's he's had a difficult week. But maybe my sermon is not, you know, doing it for him. Maybe I need to be better. And I think there's a way of, you know, lifting ourselves up so we lift others up and saying, What can we do to get them to? to appreciate. Reverend you always talk about value. You gotta give value to people. They have to feel there's something there that resonates with them. So I, I think that's another way. They don't just want to hear grouches on the pulpit. People are always complaining. Uh, absolutely, no, there's, there's Rabbi. A,
1: there's a lot yeah. to be hope there's a lot to be hopeful and happy for. Um just as a side note, I think Joe knows this about me already, but I was the first rabbi who had his sermon material sponsored by Ambient. And um I have diagnosed eleven people in my congregation with sleep apnea. And I always say I saved their life because of that. So I feel good and um, that my servants was able to help in that diagnosis.
2: You know, uh this this past week we had a meeting, Rabbi Patasnik, you know, the with the Cardinal and the Commission of Religious Leaders. We had the mayor come in and address the group. And the theme around the table whether we were talking about vaccine hesitancy, uh, issues of health, issues within the community, uh, of poverty, the marginalized, whatever it was, one recurring theme was that the clergy are the trusted messengers, the trusted voices within the community, that when the clergy speak, the people will respond in ways that government can't get them to respond uh, other uh, family members can't get them to respond. And that's a big responsibility that we have. But it is true that we have been given this this, this voice of trust, this mantle uh, of trust. Uh, would you say that that's your experience, Rabbi Kirsner?
1: Uh, unequivocally. Um, I think when it comes to many of these spiritual topics, definitely biblical, religious topics, and even when it, in the Jewish faith, when it comes to Israel, and I would say morality, we know more than most and less than some. And there's a responsibility upon us that people really are thirsty to hear from us. Yes, there will be people who disagree with some things we say. But what I find is that people want to hear our opinions. It's okay if they disagree. We can love them just the same if they disagree. And we can we can profess about looking after people's physical health. And moral compass, then we can talk about some of these difficult topics that are important. And I think it's important that we use our voices in that way to lend them to as many ears as possible.
0: We come to the uh, end of this, I, I find fascinating discussion. Uh, I heard someone say the following recently that you know, we, we dip the, an apple in honey, so it should be a sweet year. It symbolizes the sweetness we hope that will be given to us the coming year. He says, why do we dip it in honey? Why not in sugar? Or something else, he says, because honey has an interesting quality. It drips. You can't just limit it to one area. Uh, you want that sweetness to pervade into other places, to pervade you know, into the lives of other people. And I just want to say, Rabbi Kirshner, uh, you're a great blessing, uh, not only to the Jewish people, not only to your family, but to so many others who have turned to you over the years for guidance. Uh, so you represent that rabbinical honey, uh, bring a lot of uh, joy and sweetness to many others. So thank you so much for all that you do and will continue to do.
1: Thank you. That's very kind. The feelings are mutual for both of you and the blessing is just spending time with both of you and knowing both of you. And I hope that this new year gives us more and more portals to do that with you. And may all of your listeners of all faiths be blessed with good health.
0: Amen. Amen to that.
1: We'll be
2: back with more of the Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC
0: where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Joseph Mm Tasman. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Rev, I heard a great story, which applies to our interview and so much of life. A group of Mensa uh, individuals, you know, those who are super bright, super intelligent, was sitting at a counter in a luncheonette and one noticed that the pepper was in the salt shaker and the salt was in the pepper shaker. And they started thinking how do we transfer one to the other and they came up with this you know, idea, we'll take a straw and a spoon and we'll be able to to pour one into the other. And the waitress came over and explained what they're trying to do. And she said, well, let me see if I can help you. Why don't we just remove the tops and switch them? <laughs> and, and I think of that because so much of our discussion was predicated on the real world. You know, we can yeah. talk about things that, uh, you know, are up in the heavens, but ultimately we live on earth. And therefore, when we as clergy speak, we have to speak to people where they are and where we'd like them, you know, inspire them to where they could be. But it has to be real. It can't just be something in the clouds.
2: You know, I love what Rabbi uh, Seth Kirsten said about the portal.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, a portal is a doorway. It's a it's a gate. It's an entrance. It's a way that people come to faith, come to us, you know. And, and let me tell you a story, very interesting story. Had a member, and by the way, his last name was Zimmerman, African-American.
0: Well, somewhere, <laughs> uh, was one of mine somewhere in that. Yeah, somewhere
2: couldn't... along the way, okay. Yeah. So he's telling the story of how he came to be a member of Christian Cultural Center. He was a sanitation worker. And what had happened was they were, you know, going through their morning run, and they're picking up trash in front of a house in Brooklyn. And there was a set of cassette tapes in the trash. He picks them up and he says, huh, let me, let me take this with me. So he takes them home at a time, Rabbi, that he and his wife were going through some very serious marriage problems and thinking about divorce. The set of tapes that he found in the trash was a marriage serum seminar that I did many years ago. And, you know, I'm saying cassette tape, so you know this goes back a bit, right? Right, right. He sat and listened to that whole series and began to implement the truths there. And his marriage turned around, and he started coming to the church, brought his wife, his whole family, and there was a healing in that
0: relationship. Imagine that. Through the trash. Let me tell you the difference between you and me. See, you see it as very uplifting and rightfully so. It would have bothered me and I would have thrown it away. <laughs> someone threw it into the trash. Who was the person who threw my tapes into the trash? That's what I want to know.
2: <laughs> see, I'm on the other side yeah, of yeah, that. I Never know. mind who or why they threw it away. But somebody found Let's it, see. and someone entered a, a, a doorway to life, to renewal and to, you know, our congregation, our,
0: our our family. This is one of the rewarding aspects of being in clergy. How many times do people come over and say, you may not realize this, Rabbi or Reverend, there was something you said years hmm. ago that was cathartic for me. It got me thinking about, you know, uh, I remember a rabbi said, that, you know, there's a prayer for the dead, mourner's prayer, the Kaddish we call it. And, Rabbi told me one day he announced those who had died and mistakenly he mentioned a person who was living, who was sitting there to say Kaddish for his parents. He said, oh my God, how could I have done this? He apologized profusely after the service. I am so sorry. I mentioned you with the dead and you're living, of course. And he said, Rabbi, you did me a favor because when you did that, I asked myself, who's going to remember me when I'm no longer living? And what are they going to remember? And he got to me thinking that I better make some corrections in my life so that there will be someone who not only say Kaddish, but say Kaddish with pride, that wow. I was blessed to be in their life. So you never know what will yeah. trigger a response. So, uh, But I really enjoyed the, con- enjoy the conversation because it, it dealt with, you know, we're in the world of religion. And in today's world... You know, everything becomes so so politicized. But it's nice to have a conversation about tradition, how we react to it, how we respond uh, to the different problems of life. So, David Seth Kirshner, uh is why I, I can—he's one of my favorite people. And I'm glad we had him on. I thank you because it was a moment for both traditions to learn from one another. Absolutely, and always a pleasure to be with you. Look,
2: sometimes we lean political, sometimes we lean to the religious. Always building a bridge between faith and culture that's what we do right here every week and on people. 77 wabc and hopefully next week again
0: let's do it again
2: <laughs> we'll be back to. so yeah thank you for being with us we appreciate and we pray for
0: our audience rabbi we want to make sure they know that yes we do it should be a, a, a good year the jewish new year but we say it's the birthday of the world let's hope it's a better year for all people till next week god bless